This is the J. Scott Outdoors podcast on Western big game hunting and fishing brought to you by GoHunt.com Insider. Research faster, hunt more. Go to GoHunt.com forward slash insider and join today. I'm your host, Jay Scott, and I live and breathe hunting and fishing, spending half the year in the field experiencing God's creation. I hope you'll enjoy hearing about our adventures. Welcome to the Jay Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we have two guests. We have Chase Christopher and Jay Park from 7K. 7K is a content marketing and media company based out of Flagstaff. Um, I've I've known of Jay and Chase for several years now, and I've always been impressed with uh, the the content that they're producing, uh, the photos that they're taking, and the videos, and their style of editing. Um, they really tell a story uh, very nicely. Um, it's very very classy, and and uh, you know I just got done before this interview watching some of the videos for a second or third time, and. Uh, the videos that these guys uh, create make you feel like you want to be there. And uh, the way I view some of these, um, this content that's being put out on the, on the web these days is the hunts that where you, after you get done watching, it makes you want to be there and you have a nice, warm, fuzzy feeling. Those are the videos that I enjoy most. And, and these guys... Um, uh, definitely create that kind of content. Uh, Chase, why don't you start out and uh, give me a little bit of a background on yourself, and, and then we'll jump over to Jay Park. Yeah, Jay, glad to be on. Um, I grew up hunting and fishing in Texas with my dad and uncles, and um, about eight years ago, I uh, moved out to Arizona and kind of fell in love with western hunting and while here in Arizona, I met my wife. We've been married for five years and have three kids, um, a four-year-old and two-and-a-half-year-old twins. And, uh, yeah, that's, I'm a full-time lineman and for the utility company here in Tucson. And then, uh, yeah. That's so, about- so you're from Tucson, but I can formally say that you didn't go to U of A? Is that is that what I'm gathering? I did not. I did not. I went to uh, WT in, in North Texas out of Amherst. Okay. So so you're not a true wildcat. Even though you may pull for them because you live there, you're not a true wildcat, which makes me smile because I'm a sun devil. But I do have some wildcats that I do love. Yeah, but. yeah. I'm an honorary wildcat because of my wife. But, um, yeah. Oh, she went to U of A? Um, she actually went to NAU, but her and her family are from Tucson, so... Um, they are hardcore Wildcat fans. So, oh man, oh man, thrown in the middle of it. So, yep, you're you're thrown right into the middle of the fire. And um, well, it's glad to have you uh, with us here today, Chase. And I look forward to uh, talking to you about all sorts of subjects. And Jay, why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself, and uh, and then maybe introduce Seven K a little bit and the Mountain Project and what you guys have going on. Well, my name is Jay Park. I'm originally from Arizona. I've, I've lived here my entire life. I actually grew up in the White Mountains and uh, kind of got into hunting with uh, with some childhood friends of mine that lived down the street from me. They uh, My dad took me every once in a while, but uh, it was mostly kind of a thing to do um, just to spend some time together. And my, the friends I had down the street were, were very much into it. And so I would, I would go out after school with them. I quit playing football basically so I could go out and uh, archery deer hunt in August with them. And uh, that's kind of how I got my background in hunting. And then uh, 
2009, 2010, I guess I was living in New Zealand and I got really into fly fishing down there and started, uh, I discovered Vimeo and on Vimeo, there were people from all around the world posting really cool fly fishing videos and, uh, it just kind of lit a fire for me. And, um, so I went out and I, I bought a camera. I had a, a DSLR at the time and I went out and I bought a video camera and, and my initial plan was to start making, uh, fishing films and uh moved back to Arizona in 2012 and Arizona obviously you know fly fishing uh, opportunities are sparse and so we decided to turn the camera towards hunting and uh we uh met Chase in, in 2013 I guess it was and uh I had seen some of the the videos that he had put up on his Vimeo page and and I really liked them and and had the opportunity to meet him there and we kind of brainstormed together and decided that we'd, we'd come up with something and start making films together. And that's kind of how the mountain project was born. Uh, we turned, um, once, once we started making a few films, we kind of realized that there was a little bit of marketing potential with this. And I have a marketing background, what I studied in school. And so we decided to create seven K getting its name from the fact that we're located in Flagstaff, Arizona and, uh, 7,000 feet elevation. So um, 7K kind of exists to, to work with brands and um, help craft and tell their stories across the web and across social media channels. Um, the Mountain Project is, is basically it's, it's a piece of content uh, that we, we we're offering to a couple of different brands that we've we partnered up with on it. And uh, basically what we do is we, we tell the story of mountain and western hunting uh, in ways that traditional made-for-TV productions don't. Um, we try to bring uh, narrative, storytell- narrative storytelling and cinematic, cinematic production value to uh, hunts that are typically hard to, hard to document well because you're, you know, you're loading up a camera and you're packing in five to seven miles. Uh, you're in some gnarly terrain that's not easy on, on you, let alone your camera gear. And uh, that's kind of what we're, we're trying to do with the Mountain Projects. We've got a few films made and we've got some companies that we're working with. And uh, so far, the, the reception has been pretty good. So. That's fantastic. Yeah. And, and, uh, I, I've seen your videos and I've watched them here for the last couple of years. Um, what is the best way for people to see your content? Um, what are your different avenues, your channels, uh, platforms, et cetera? How do they find you? Jay? Uh, uh, well, our idea is that, uh, we put it everywhere. Um, basically, I mean, th- these aren't films that go away. Um, you know, and so different, different media channels typically have like a different lifespan, um, but YouTube, Vimeo and Facebook, that's generally where we're, where we're putting it. Um, uh, YouTube and, and Vimeo are probably the easiest places to find it, uh, as well as on our website, the mountain is calling.com. Um, we've got them all embedded there. Facebook, they tend to, to go away after a couple of days, you know, after they're no longer on the newsfeed, but we do have a Facebook page that, uh, you can access them on as well. And it is the Facebook page the Mountain Project? No, unfortunately, no. That uh, that domain was taken. It's actually uh, Facebook.com/soul uh, of the mountain. S O U L of the mountain. Okay. I, I want to talk to you about something you said, Jay. You you were talking about you know new v- media versus television and traditional television and and hunting shows. I, I think you know I'm a fly fisherman as well, and it seems as though you know, it kind of started with backcountry skiing, you know, with the Warren Miller, you saw some of the cutting edge, you know, maybe some of the surfing videos. And then it seems like some of the fly fishermen, like you said, in New Zealand, 
um, kind of took that Warren Miller, um, you know, kind of feel that surf, you know, surfing magazine kind of feel and, you know, started running with the fly fishing videos. And then you're starting to see it a little bit more uh, in the hunting arena and uh, in industry. Talk to me a little bit about the pitfalls that you see with traditional media as opposed to uh, maybe the new way of business. The the biggest problem with traditional television shows is the way that the outdoor channels are structured. Their business model is, is structured differently than other television programs. So they generate the revenue by selling airtime to anybody really who, who wants to put a show on the television. I mean, that's that's their revenue base. And what that means for the people who want to put a show on TV is is they've got to generate a lot of money. And the only way they do that is by getting show sponsors that uh, actually have the money that can foot the bill. And so their their television shows end up being, you know, 22 minute uh, infomercials uh, for the most part. Not all of them are that way, but but a lot of them are, are really just sort of infomercials trying to trying to sell product that you might not want or might not really care about. Um, whereas, you know, sort of this uh, this rising generation of, of of people creating what we call new media. Um, you know, it's really, it's just about the story that that's all, it's, it's all you really care about. It's not centered around a, uh, you know, a central personality who's the host of the show who kind of explains what's going on. You know, it's, it's just about the hunt and just about the story, just about the adventure. And it's really resonating with a lot of people. I think, uh, there's a lot of companies, um, who are really getting into it. Sitka was kind of the, the first company that, that really started putting their money behind it. And, and I think it's done well for them. Yeah, and and who do you guys in the industry are? Are there any particular people, whether hunting or or uh, other other uh, media outlets? Are there people that you guys look up to and respect their work um, uh, more than others? Uh, maybe could you mention a couple that you really like their work? Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll start, and then Chase, you can chime in. But um, probably my favorite is. Uh, they don't even really do hunting films, but but everything they do is very good, and it's all outdoor related. They do a lot of mountain climbing and skiing and stuff, and it, that is uh, Camp Four Collective. They're based out of Utah, and their work is just phenomenal and and very inspiring. It's it's kind of what Chase and I aspire to is is to get our level of production kind of up to like I mean we probably won't ever catch them, but but just get it up to where they're at. Um, they're probably my favorite uh, sort of outside the hunting industry, and then inside the hunting industry. Uh, Jeff Simpson kind of started this all. He was he was the guy who started uh, Heartland Bowhunter, um, and then he left it and formed Arctis Collective and, and has a, a series called The Short Season, which they're always always done very well. He's he's very good at what he does, and there's others. Chase Chase has some favorites too. Yeah, definitely um, Heartland Bowhunter, one of them, like Jay said, and then you know others. There's other guys doing it. Uh, the Rockhouse Motion guys. Um, like he said, Jeff Simpson's the short season, you know, there, there's plenty of them. And a lot of those are Midwest based, you know, it's, it's hunting whitetails or, or waterfowl or, or things like that. And we wanted to, um, take that same approach and, and bring it into Western hunting, you know, um, hunting in the mountains, you know, backpacking and hunting elk, um, some of those things. So that was, you know, those, those guys are doing a great job and we, we watch all their stuff and we love it. We just want to take that feel um, here in the West. So, absolutely. And you know, guys, I, I've been um, filming hunts for years, and um, 
I, I have the editing skills of about probably less than a kindergartner, um, but I have actually been running a video camera, I'm going to say, for probably at least 10 or 12 years. And I, I can tell you that um, it, it is very hard at, at, when you're on these hunts uh, to capture the true emotion of uh, the hunt and the story and uh, do you guys feel like with what you're trying to do, do you pretty much have to have someone that's completely focused on catching all the shots and, you know, trying to capture the story as opposed to hunting at the same time, which a lot of the, the, the stuff that I do is, you know, I hunt and then try and capture what I can, but very rarely am I just the cameraman. I, I feel like some of the best stuff that I've done as far as catching the actual video is when I, I, I'm I just running a camera and I enjoy that actually. I, I went up with my friend Jason with Kuyu in Montana and just had a ball because literally I had a few elk calls around my neck but was just running a camera and just having a good time. Um, talk to me a little bit about the struggles uh, that maybe you guys faced early on with trying to film and hunt at the same time and how much weight you put in the, 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 the cameraman only type of scenario. Um, obviously if you can have somebody there just running a camera, you're going to be better off. Uh, that said like Chase's moose hunt last year, um, you know, I wasn't able to go to Alaska with him to film. And so Chase ended up self filming that entire thing. And I think it's probably our best piece um, our most inspiring piece, at least. Um, I, I was just talking with a couple of friends. I was having lunch with some friends a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking about that, just that thing. And it, it's very hard to both hunt and film yourself at the same time. And so, my advice, if, if that's what you're, if that's what you're, you know, what you have to do, is is go into the hunt knowing what kind of film you want to produce. And then it doesn't take a long time to, to just get a couple of shots that you know you're going to need for the end product and then get those shots and then hunt, you know, and don't try to do them both at the same time, but, but kind of uh, section it off so that you're, you're filming and then you're hunting and you're hunting and then you're filming. Um, but, but you have to have an idea beforehand of, of what you want to create at the end of it if you're going to do so that. Do you go into it with a full storyline uh, as far as um... – you know, kind of a, a cheat sheet, so to speak, on on you know the different shots that you need to get, and so that it's somewhat like an outline, uh, so you're not just freewheeling it. Do you have some structure going into it? Uh, we always have good intentions, and uh, we do, and we never end up sticking to it. We never end up, you know, getting all of the all of the shots that we have on our shot list, but but we always start out, you know, hopeful. So many things change in the field, you know. I mean. The, the thing is, is it makes it really nice as when you have a cameraman and, uh, but going solo, um, you have to, you have to take the time to do some of those shots, you know, and Jay, you know, as well as anyone that there are a few times during the day while hunting, you might have a little downtime and, uh, instead of resting or, or doing things, you know, we're shooting video and, um, we're trying to get those shots. So it's kind of a never ending process if you're going to film yourself. So yeah, and, and a question for both of you guys is, um, do you love filming as much as you do hunting? And if you do, great. If you don't, on maybe, um, you know, one out of 10 or 
you know, one out of a hundred, give me a, you know, I like hunting, you know, 70% and I like to film 30% or I'm 50-50. I'd like to get both of you's answer with that. I guess for me, I, I don't know, I, I would say hunting may outweigh the, the filming just a little bit. I mean, I've carried a camera since I was in high school and I love taking photos and, and video, but, you know, I... Uh, I do that to capture the experience, what I'm there for, you know? So I, I don't know. I'd say 60% hunting, 40, 40% filming maybe. What about you, Jay? Yeah, I was going to say Chase and I are, are a good pair that way because I'm probably the exact opposite, 60% filming and 40% hunting. I, I like to go on the hunts. I like to be on the adventure, but I, I don't have to be the guy behind the gun. Um, and, and for me, it's not just filming. I, I like the the whole creative process of, of putting it all together and, and coming up with something at the end of it that's really beautiful or inspiring, that's, that's, that's kind of what, what motivates me. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and it shows in you guys' work. You can tell that, you know, that you, you watch the film and you come away, you feel warm, you feel fuzzy, you feel that emotion. Maybe there's parts in the, in, during the hunt that you, you feel as low as the hunter, or you, you know, you can really relate. And I think that's the part of the, the, the things that maybe traditional media isn't catching, you know, they're, they're trying to, they're trying to make up with voiceovers and they're trying to make up with, you know, it just doesn't resonate uh, really with the people watching the shows. But um, guys, let's jump into what kind of cameras are you using uh, for these films? And maybe even I noticed uh, you do some, I think you've got some drones and stuff. Why don't you dive into maybe your, your go-to cameras uh, for your shots? Right, right now, um, what we're running is, is I'm running a, a Panasonic GH4. It's a, it's a 4K camera. It records uh, 4,000 lines of resolution in the body of the camera, um, creates like crystal sharp images, and uh, it's got a really, really great color profile as well. It, it just really nice, beautiful images. The, o the only downfall to that camera is it, it's got a pretty small sensor size, so as the light starts to fade, it, it, it becomes mostly useless. And uh, it's nice because Chase has a, a full-frame Canon DSLR that he's using, um, which gathers light and, and just takes a, a beautiful picture. Um, last year, when we were working with the guys at Gila Outdoor, they have a, uh, a big Sony Super 35 camera. It's called an FS700, and it's a slow-motion camera. Um, and we're currently we're, we're working on uh, saving up the money to get the FS uh, replacement. It's called an FS7. Um, just a really great picture out of that out of that camera. Now, are most of the, the, the cameras you're using, are they DSLRs or uh, did I hear you say that you actually shoot a more traditional uh, video camera and Chase shoots a, a Canon DSLR? No, they're, they're both DSLRs. Um, we use we have uh, an X8, a Canon XA20 as well. Uh, that we only use it when we need a, a 20 power zoom. Uh, the problem with most like handheld camcorders uh, is that they have really small sensors, and even though they're shooting HD video, you know that's uh, 1900 pixels wide by 1080 high. Um, those the pixels on those small sensors are really small, and so you don't end up getting uh, like really good color depth and contrast. And, and that's something that for what we're doing, what we're trying to create, that's that's more important even than, than having the HD is, is just getting really good colors and, and contrast and, and beautiful images. And you just can't get that with a, you know, a $500 Sony or whatever. 
Um, that said, you know, the picture is one thing and the story is always more important. So you, you could shoot a great film on an iPhone if you wanted to, as long as the story's right. Sure. And, and Jay, just to be clear, you said it was a Panasonic GK4? GH4. GH4. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And um, at what point did you guys move to the DSLRs um, as far as realizing that how much better uh, quality they were for what you were doing? Uh, I kind of always, I started with a, a DSLR. I had a, a, oh gosh, what was it? A, D, a Nikon D500 that shot 720p HD video. And I, I didn't even realize that it shot video. I just had it as a still camera. And uh, I took a picture of, uh, or a video of one of my daughters uh, and posted it on Facebook and had a friend comment about how, how beautiful the, the video was. And I thought, wow, this is actually really good. That was, that was you know probably five years ago before I really started getting into making videos. But so I, I never really went to uh, to camcorders. I, I did buy an XA10, a Canon XA10 for a while, and and was never really happy with it. Got you. And and uh, can you take uh, great photos with those cameras as well, just with the click of a button? You're either on video mode or on uh, photo mode. Yeah, um, Chase is especially because it's got a full frame. I mean, it's a it's a full 35 millimeter frame. Um, mine not so much. It, I, I the frame in my camera, my GH4 is a it's a micro four thirds, and it's about half the size of the frame of Chase's. And uh, so you don't get like good separation between the foreground and the background like you do in Chase's camera. Um, but yeah, it, it's not bad. It's just not not the best for taking stills you know the, the benefits of uh you know all the cameras have benefits like jay's gh4 um you know that it's a 4k camera and great with video and and he can pack four lenses into the backcountry where you know my dslr is takes great photos great video but to to pack the same amount of lenses and equipment for that is is almost triple the weight if not more and um you know, they just, they all play their role. You know, we even, we use GoPros also, you know, I don't know if you saw in the, um, the Alaska film, but you know, we strap them to airplanes. We put them on tripods. We, we, we have a drone, you know, that's, that's separate. That's for, you know, after the whole fact, you know, we will, we'll designate time to just to use the drone to get a couple shots. Um, obviously we can't pack all of that stuff, but back to where I started, you know, it's, they all have their reasons, and, and the GH4, you can just take so much more with that, even though the, the DSLR um, takes a better picture. So, I just um, I got a question for you guys. I had a friend um, who I fish with quite a bit um, actually wants to get some video, wants me to get some video of him this summer when I head to Colorado, and he, he got um, a GoPro 3 Plus for us to use. I, was, I don't know anything about GoPros. Uh, how is that as far as quality, and, and um, how does that compare to the GoPros that you guys use? It's a it's a Hero 3 Plus. You, you've used those, haven't you, Chase? Yeah. Um, you, you use GoPro, GoPros more than I do, so I'll let you answer that one. Yeah, the you know the GoPro is 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 limited. Um, it's a great camera, and it's it's great for uh, telling parts of the story. Um, I used a GoPro 3 in Alaska, which is a step down from the 3 Plus you have, and it works great. It shoots HD video. Um, there's a lot of mounts for it. You know, you can take it underwater. You can do so many things with it. Um, that being said, there's, it's not the quality of a DSLR or a, 
a GH4 or something bigger, but it's very important in this, the stories we tell. And we, we do use GoPros a lot. We're, we're up to the GoPro 4 now, but, um, you know, all of them shoot HD and they're all really good. I w- I've been trying to figure out how to actually attach the GoPro onto my um, Dave Smith strutter decoy and um, don't quite have that figured out yet, but that was one of the ideas that I had, or potentially just mounting it on the ground, you know, maybe five feet away from what I understand. They have a pretty wide field of view. Um, and then the other application on my um, on my drift boat was to potentially attach it to one of the bars uh, in the back, and since it does have such a wide field of view, it would just catch, you know, maybe a different angle that would be more of a stationary angle. So I'm kind of excited to use that. Um, guys, let's talk about uh, editing and how you shoot your films for editing as far as, um, obviously we talked a little bit about, you know the shots that you wanna, that you wanna get. And then let's talk about some of the common pitfalls with editing um, uh, your videos. I guess I'll do that since I do most of the editing. Um, basically, what like I said earlier, I mean, when we when we head out on a hunt that we're going to film, we, we kind of have a, a general idea of, of what the story we want to tell is going to be. And so we'll create lists of shots that we want to get that can help build that story. Um, and, and we try to always maintain a focus on, on what the story is. And, and generally, the story is always... Uh, you know, you have a character in it, that character wants something, and there's obstacles that that character has to overcome in order to get what he wants. And it's it's the same thing in, in a hunting film. You know, you go into the woods, there's something that you want to get, um, and then what kind of effort are you going to have to put in in order to get what you're you're there for? And, and so most of our storytelling, you know, focuses on that sort of long arc if you will. And uh, so when we, when we set out for it, we just know that there are certain shots that we have to get, you know, I mean, if, if we're on a bivy hunt, you know, you're packing your gear and then you've got to climb. And so you've, you've got, you know, that, that's like the biggest obstacle is climbing. And then the next obstacle is finding the animals and the next obstacle is making the shot on an animal. And so we kind of roll all of that up into a, you know, a five to eight minute uh, video at the end. Um, And that's, generally how how we'll do it um but it's always with a with a pre-planned you know we never go out and just you know follow somebody around with a with a camera um it's always you know all the shots we get are are pretty intentional and uh and then you know you mentioned like pitfalls and the the most common pitfalls i mean like if, if i sit down and i watch a bunch of videos on youtube um you know the biggest the biggest pitfall or or the, the thing that people could do i would say probably to most improve their edits is to just get rid of transitions you know you see a lot of transitions all of the editing software has built-in transitions like these really cool waves and ripples and and uh swipes and things and if, if you just don't use that like if, if you watch tv and if you watch movies um, you'll notice that transitions always go from just one scene straight into the next. And, and that was to me, like my, I look at my fir- very first films that I ever made. And um, as soon as I started getting rid of all those effects that these editing software programs offer you, you know, my films got, got quite a bit better. So, and does that include cross dissolve um, Jay as well? No, or no are you talk- I, I do use cross dissolve, but cross dissolve has a, has a, a specific purpose um, when, when you use a cross dissolve, it, it, it gives the viewer a sense that time is passing. 
And so I'll only use a cross dissolve when when we're switching from one scene completely into a new one, just to just to kind of help you feel that, yeah, this didn't happen right after that last scene did. I understand. Yeah, I understand. Well, that's great advice. Um, let's talk a little bit about um, digiscoping. I know I'm a big digiscoper versus long lenses and probably the uh, challenges you guys face with with some of the game, the coos deer and the sheep and some of the things that you're trying to video at times can be a long ways off. And I know there's a dilemma there of trying to get a real good image through your digiscoping setup as far and then conversely with the uh, long lens. Uh, maybe you're going to get a better image, but it's probably still not going to um, suck it in quite like you would like. Uh, talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, Jay and I have had several conversations about this actually. And, you know, you look at cell phones and, and you think, you look at the little device and think there's no way it's going to do near what a DSLR or, or any of those do. But, um, you know, cell phones have come a long way and you can actually film in HD now and it's, it's really decent stuff. So, um, Jay could probably tell you it's a little harder to edit in the end, but, you know, when it comes to hunting, um, to pack a telephoto lens is, is a lot of weight, and it still doesn't get you out as far as you need to see or, or video. So we picked up our first phone scope last year, and it's been really helpful. You know, we can, uh, those those three, 400-yard shots that you wouldn't have seen before, you know, you can actually see them now, and, and they're usable with today's cell phones. So phone scope has been really good to us. And um, are you primarily talking about iPhone? And if you are, which iPhone are you using? And uh, if you're not, which phone do you feel like uh, is the best uh, quality? And do you uh, always shoot your digiscoping stuff on full zoom? Talk to me a little bit about the technical aspect of of uh, digiscoping and some of the, maybe the tips that you can give to people out there listening. Yeah, I've, I mean, I've I've used it all as far as long lenses and, and DSLRs on a spotting scope. And, and honestly, just using my iPhone, I've got an iPhone 5 or 5S or something um, that I'm using on the phone scope through a Vortex spotting scope. And, and that's been the best so far. Um, the problem I had when I was using a, a Swarovski with the TLS APO adapter for my DSLR is, is that I can never like the focus precision wasn't good enough in the through the spotting scope to really get good sharp images um, at a distance and with the autofocus adjustments that they have on the phones it just kind of solves that whole problem and then the other thing is because the phone weighs so little you're not putting a big chunk of weight on the back end of your spotting scope so that when wind blows you know it's it's blowing your your scope all over the place and and shaking your image up. Um, that's the best, the best I've seen as far as quality. And I always try to keep my, the zoom on the spotting scope as little as possible, just to allow more light through that scope to reach the camera sensor. Um, but if I have to crank it up, I will, and, and just let the camera adjust for it. Um, but I always try to keep that as, as low as possible. And then if I have to, you know, you can always zoom with the, with the phone as well. And so... Let's say you're videoing a, a sheep at 500, well, let's say 800 yards, and let's say you're on you know, 25 or 30 power and you have a nice clear image. In order to not have the vignetting, you, you do have to go full zoom on the camera or not? Yeah, I'll zoom with the camera to get rid of the vignetting. 
And then is it the fact that the camera actually focuses so well and so fine? Is that why? Because uh, I use the TLS APO on the Swarovski 95 and uh, that Canon SL1, and, and I get a lot better resolution and a lot better video and pictures than I was getting with, uh, say, my Tines Up adapter or or uh, some of the other little adapters that I use. But I think that's because the camera that's is so camera. much better. Yeah, that's, but, that's but the camera. Originally, when iPhones came out and digiscoping, I was not people would show me, well, I got, you know, video or photo off my iPhone and I was just never that impressed. But what you're saying is maybe I need to relook at that and that the iPhone actually can get some really high quality stuff. Yeah, it's a lot better today than it was three years ago. And have you used any of the droid phones at all? To, are they just as capable on the phone scope or? I, I imagine they are. I've never used them, but I can't imagine why they wouldn't be. Okay, and then so when you record video on your iPhone, um, then you just dump that. How do you get the that to your computer? I guess it's all on the cloud, and then you just pull it off there. Yeah, pretty much. You plug your computer in, and then you can drag it across, or plug your phone into the computer, and then you can, uh, you know, you can download that footage onto your hard drive. Okay, and you don't have. There's no special settings. You basically just um, put it through your di your digiscoping device. You guys use the phone scope. Uh, and then I believe a little square box comes up. Do you actually touch that so then it's focused on your animal yeah. or does it automatically do that? No, I'll touch where I want it to focus on it. And it uses where you touch to set the exposure as well, the focus and the exposure. And okay. if you ever find yourself, um, your phone jumping back and forth to focus, uh, just, a, just a tweak in the spotting scope um, focus will help that sometimes. So. Okay, that's that's great info, guys. Um Let's talk about uh, let's talk about Vimeo versus YouTube versus Facebook for videos. Um, maybe what the pros and cons of Vimeo versus Facebook, and and then the videos on on Facebook. Yeah, or, uh, excuse me, Vimeo versus YouTube versus Facebook. I, I, we use them for different things. Um, the YouTube has the largest audience by far, and so if you're if you're producing videos. You, you obviously you want it to be searchable and and discoverable by as many people as possible, um, and so YouTube is definitely the way to go there. I mean they've got Google search power behind it, and the search function on Vimeo is just atrocious. You, you, I mean you could type in a name for one of our films and it probably wouldn't pull up. It's it's really terrible. Um, we use Vimeo for. Uh, uh, like a professional showcase or portfolio of our work. So we, we have everything on each of those channels. Um, but then people spend more time on Facebook than they do on the others. And, and you don't have to rely on somebody to search you out to find you on, on Facebook like you do on YouTube for the most part. Um, you know, you can kind of publish it to the people who are following you. Uh, the problem with Facebook is that, you know, you've got a limited lifespan. So if, if people don't log on while you're content is in their newsfeed, you know, they're probably not going to see it. Whereas on, on YouTube, it's all just kind of right there. Um, so we use all three. I, I think a lot of people who are just getting into filmmaking think that they have to put their stuff on Vimeo because that's where the professionals put their films. And, and you know, that just doesn't make sense. If, if you want to get your videos seen, just keep them on YouTube. It's, it's by far the best channel. Guys, um, what, what do you guys have 
uh, upcoming? Are you working on any projects at this current uh, moment or uh, did you draw any fall hunts or what's on the agenda here this spring and this fall coming up for you guys? Or is that top secret? <laughs> no, no. If I'll let Chase talk about that. Um, you know, most of our, most of our stuff depends on what we draw on the public land hunts. Um, we apply for several States, Arizona, unfortunately we haven't seen any credit card hits on our Arizona cards. So doesn't look like any bull tags here. Um, but you know, we will apply for everything else in Arizona. We have applications in, in New Mexico and Utah and Idaho and a lot of other States, Colorado. Um, I have the points to draw a Colorado high, high, high country mule deer hunt and also an elk tag. So that's probably my number one focus this fall, but I, I could draw other tags. Um, you know, Eric uh, Bergman, another member of our team, he's uh, he's got a spring bear hunt coming up here south of Tucson, so we can hope for a, a film out of that one. And then, um, yeah, it all just depends on the tags we draw. Yeah, and we're also starting to kind of diversify a little bit and try to, I guess, branch out and do some, some different kind of films. So uh, we are taking my rifle, and, and we are kind of, uh, turning my rifle into a, uh, a custom rifle. We've got Brent Jacobs of Western Precision is going to put a proof barrel on it for me. And uh, we're going to shoot a, a short documentary about what all is involved in taking a rifle from basically, you know, the Walmart shelf to, you know, a really, really great rifle. Um, so we're going to talk about the different steps involved in that and just try to create like an eight to 10 minute documentary um, for proof research. That's, that's the barrel we're getting. So we're, we're working with them on that. And, and uh, you know, so we're trying to do some little things as well during the time when we're not actually out hunting. We don't have a tag to fill. Sure. Um, guys, I want to talk to you on the Owdad hunt. I noticed that uh, you guys were all wearing Kuyu gear and, um, uh, I love Kuyu gear myself, Dar and I have been wearing it for years and um, uh, really like the quality of, of the gear. Um, talk to me a little bit about uh, Kuyu and, and um, the, the, maybe some of the different pieces of gear that you really like um, and, and expand on that a little bit for me. Yeah, for, uh, you know, for a long time we, we wore Sitka. I was, I was kind of a Sitka snob. Um, I just thought Sitka made the best stuff, and they do make really great gear. Um, and, uh, you know, I had, uh, I ran into uh, some Kuyu stuff. A friend of mine had it, and, and I, you know, I got to put my hands on it. And, and that's one of the the drawbacks, I guess, about their, their direct-to-consumer cons- direct business model is that you can't actually touch it until you get it um, unless a friend of yours has it. And so I, ha- I was fortunate to have a friend who had um, a guide DCS jacket, and, and I, you know, I compared that to my uh, – my Sitka windproof jacket and uh, I just, I really liked it. And so we started looking into their stuff a little bit more and we, we placed an order. Um, we don't have a formal relationship with Kuyu by any means, um, but we, we placed an order and we got a bunch of stuff in and uh, it was, it was kind of a, you know, a, a, you know, a light in the sky conversion story. I mean, we, our eyes were just open to, to how well the stuff is designed um, the quality of the materials that they're using, and uh, you know, obviously the the price is is just a fraction of of what you would pay for an equivalent from you know the other brand. We we've actually done a comparison between you know a full 
full layering system on how much how much weight and how much uh money you save you know and you, you know if, if you were start to start from scratch and to buy a full layering system reno insulation windproof everything you know you're going to save about 30 ounces and almost a thousand dollars between the two brands um and that was really you know sort of uh important to us uh first off we save a thousand dollars that's another lens that we can buy which we're you know we're more interested in but also the weight savings is really important because we're packing so much weight. You know, we take, I have all of our hunting gear and if we're going on a bivy hat, we've got all of our hunting gear plus an additional 40 pounds of camera equipment that we're packing with us. So anywhere we can save, you know, a couple of ounces just makes getting up the mountain that much easier. Chase. Yeah. Um, like Jay said, you know, we, we've always liked, um, quality gear and Sitka makes great gear and I've purchased a lot of it and uh, as long as long as Jay has and uh, you know it's it's great stuff and like Jay said the, the weight difference is is the big key um, it's you know it's it's both really good stuff but to to be able to save those 30 ounces total you know that means you can pack one more lens in your bag or you can uh, you know take take a few extra pieces of camera gear so and for me, it'd be a packing a couple extra candy bars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, well, that yeah, that's good. Um, we Dar and I have liked uh, Kuyu gear for years, and it's uh, it's nice when other people see it and and realize uh, how how good and and how much quality the actual materials have. And I think I had Jason on uh, not too long ago, and. Um, you know, he was basically just driving home that the materials used in Kuyu gear, uh, if if they if he had to go through a typical retail setting, he would end up being you know 40% higher than the competition because his materials actually cost him way more, um, and and it kind of prices uh, it out for some of the uh, some of the competition. Um, but interesting fact, when you cut out the retailer, you can actually charge a cheaper price. And so what you're getting is higher quality materials for a, a, a lower price. And, you know, I think if you look at any of the hunting magazines or, or um, you know, just look at any hunting pictures, you know, Kuyu has, seems like it has just really taken over um, most of the Western hunting uh, in my opinion, yeah, there's there's um, no doubt that uh, what Jason has done is is pretty ingenious. Yeah, absolutely, uh, guys. Uh, tell me about uh, Chase. I believe uh, y you or your wife shot a big mule deer a year or two ago. Um, I want to just hear kind of the short uh, version of um, that fantastic buck and and how all that went down. Yeah. Um, so I met my wife almost eight years ago, and she's never hunted before. Um, the most she's probably done is probably camping with her family growing up a few times. Um, but when we met, she uh, obviously showed interest in what, what I do. So um, she went along on hunts with me and, and scouting trips and, and anything to, to support me. And uh, right away, I just started putting her in for bonus points, hoping one day she would get into hunting or or want to hunt something and uh and that's what that's what I did so you know eventually she said all right I'm ready to put in for a hunt so um she had had a few points and I just decided to start putting her in for quality tags and 
<laughs> lucky enough, she ended up getting a strip tag and uh, with, I think, six or seven points. And, um, you know, we we had uh, just had our twin babies and we had a, a two-year-old and knew it was going to be a challenge, but um, there was no way we were going to miss it. So we had her family help and some good friends of ours help us and uh, made the trip all the way up to the Arizona Strip and um, met up with a couple guys I'd known up in uh, southern Utah and they ended up helping us with some stuff and we passed up a couple nice bucks and and uh Trevor Davenport he took us into a, a a nice area we'd seen a lot of does and um anyway ended up going back there on our last day we could hunt all of our help was going home so we were going to end up hunting the roads with uh three babies in our back seat um <laughs> So we made a last-minute effort on a good area, and, uh, you know, I, we found a great buck, and she made an excellent shot at 475 yards and and couldn't be happy with the way it went down. You know, she would have been happy shooting a, a four-corn. I mean, she just was glad to be there, and she was getting a little stressed out with the kids, but, you know, it was a fun experience for us, and it just worked out that she killed a giant, and... uh yeah, we're thankful for all the help we had. We couldn't have done it without everyone. So, didn't it score over 200 inches? It did. It scored 241 um, SCI. SCI. We haven't scored it, uh, Boone and Crockett, but I'm, I've never been too, too big on scores, so there was no hurry to get it scored. Um, yeah, just an awesome deer. Points going everywhere. Uh, I still remember seeing the pictures of that. Congratulations. Thank you. Guys, I want to kind of um, finish uh, finish today with uh, you guys maybe giving um, some a brief description of the films that you have done uh, and um, just maybe any little stories that go along with each one of them uh, and or if you just want to talk about a few of them, whatever you want to do there. Yeah, why, don't, why don't we just uh, mention kind of our favorite ones and why? Yeah, perfect. Um <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, I would say my favorite one is it's probably a film that, that's not even really part of the mountain project. It was one I filmed for Shane Roten and Gila Adore. It's called High and Low, and, and basically Shane took me with him to uh, to uh, Baja South on his uh, desert sheep hunt down there. And you know we spent nine days uh, down in Baja, and it was February, and it's about 100 degrees out there. Uh, searching for a desert ram and uh, that was just that was a really great trip and I think it made a really great video um, it kind of started the whole sheep bug for me um, I just saw how much fun they are to hunt and and what neat animals they are and it kind of converted me I always was a was really into hunting coos deer and, and now all I can think about is, is the day that I'm lucky enough to draw a desert sheep tag here in Arizona so I'd say that one's probably my my favorite one. I think the editing is good. Uh, some of the shots in there uh, are, are probably the most beautiful shots I've ever captured. Um, so I, I really like that one. Yeah, I actually have seen that, and I like it as well. As not only that, I think you captured a incredible interview at the end with Shane, and and the emotion of the moment kind of caught him. And you know, I think those are moments that. Uh, you know, if if you can capture as a filmmaker, I mean, it's gold, and and you did a phenomenal job of of capturing the emotion of that hunt. So I will second that. I really like that. Um, yeah, I, I don't, uh, you know, so. I I don't know if if people realize exactly how much work went into that into being able to do that for Shane. 
And, you know, so it's gotten some negative YouTube comments about, uh, you know, about the emotion at the end of it and that he's not happy and stuff. But it was just sort of a, a collapse of, of literally decades of extremely hard work to be able to afford that hunt. And then it, it all just kind of captured in this this great, you know, South Baja Ram. So that's uh, that's what I really hoped that that film would, would convey. Yeah, well, I think you nailed it. Um, absolutely. Yeah, for for me the um Jay is really great at, at capturing that emotion and, and telling a story through his edits. Um you know, moose hunting was something I've I've dreamt about for a long time and even as a kid I, I'd hear my, my uncles and, and, and his friends that hunt talking about how cool it would be to go to Alaska and it always kinda stuck in my head and and uh so I knew I always wanted to do that and I, I saved up for several years and actually last year made it happen and was able to go to Alaska. So I would say, um, you know, my favorite film is 15 year dream. And, and a lot of that's because of the way Jay put it together. Um, going into that self filming, you know, only having so much weight I could take on a bush plane. Um, you know, I didn't know how I was going to capture that film and, going into it and even during the film i was worried on on the shots i was getting and am i telling the story enough and still trying to have a a great adventure hunting moose and um you know it just all kind of came together in the end and that's that's probably my favorite so yeah i he did a uh both of you did a fantastic job uh on that uh jay with the editing and chase capturing capturing that hunt that was a really cool hunt uh I loved some of the scenes flying in there and, um, uh, it, you know, then, then once you got the moose, just some of the scenery was awesome. I thought you did a really good job. Um, guys, do you have anything else you'd like to add, um, before we conclude today? I thought we've had a good time together here and, um, you know, I, I, uh, admire what you guys do and, um, I've been, uh, pulling Jay's leg for a couple of years now, trying to get him up to do uh, some fishing stuff, uh, some some films, uh, some of the fly fishing, um, and we quite haven't connected with our schedules. But uh, anything else you guys want to add with what we've got going today? The only thing I, I would add is, is to, you know, don't worry about your equipment or your editing skills or anything. If, if you want to film your hunt, just go, go film it and you know, I mean, even if nobody watches it, you've got it to, to watch yourself. And that that's pretty much how it started for everybody. And I mean, nobody ever watched anything that I did five years ago. Um, you know, I look at them now and I can't hardly watch them, but it doesn't matter because I still remember those experiences. And, and I would just say, turn the camera on. And uh, when you get home, just, just put it together and, and put it out there and just have fun with it. Yeah, I think that's great advice. Um, and I think, I think, we're all our own worst critic. You know, I think I look at some of the stuff I do and I just cringe. And then I look down, you know, and it's got, you know, 18,000 views or something. And I'm thinking, goodness, you know, if, if 18,000 people watch that, some of the stuff I'm embarrassed, but the, <laughs> the reality is, you know, it, it's, it's a hunt and, you know, not all of us are professional editors and, um, you know, you can still capture uh, good stuff. Like you said, if you just turn the camera on and shoot, shoot way more footage than you than you thought you uh needed and um you know uh you know do your best editing and and it 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 does uh capture a treasured memory for sure 
Um, guys, I want to wish you the best uh, going into the summer here and um, with the stuff you have going. And and uh, maybe we can touch base after the fall and see see how you guys uh, did with the draws. And I'm sure... I'm sure over the next couple months, as things transpire, you're going to have uh, more and more stuff to do this fall, and um, I'm excited to see what you guys have up your sleeve, and um, I just want to thank you for being on here with me, and uh, uh, wish you the best of success here in the future. Yeah, I appreciate you having us, Jay. Yeah, thank you very much. Thanks for having us on. All right, you guys take care, okay? What a great opportunity to listen to Jay Park and Chase Christopher of 7K. Uh, the content and the videos that these guys are producing is fantastic. If you haven't seen them, check them out. I uh, can't wait to see what they have going on uh, this summer and this fall with the Mountain Project. And uh, it's always a pleasure to uh, view their latest videos. So check them out. Uh, guys, I want to really thank you for all your support here on the podcast. Uh, if you haven't, go on iTunes and give us a five-star rating. Leave us a review. Uh, that helps our placement in iTunes. Uh, you can follow along at J. Scott Outdoors Facebook, J. Scott Outdoors Instagram, at J. Scott Outdoors uh, on our YouTube channel, uh, the J. Scott Outdoors YouTube channel. Uh, also, jscottoutdoors.com. Uh, I've just got off a couple of uh, great turkey hunts uh, here in the middle of April and uh, was fortunate to uh, a company, uh, Michael Turner from Alabama on his uh, Arizona Super Big Game Raffle uh, Gould's Turkey Tag and he, he shot a real nice turkey on the first morning and I also was able to accompany my friend Casey Brooks uh, and watch him shoot a Gould's Turkey with his bow. Uh, he had purchased the Arizona uh, Auction Gould's Turkey Tag and um, I had a, had a great hunt. Um, I'm headed to Mexico here soon. I've got uh, about two weeks of hunts in Mexico. Uh, I've got a bunch of Gould's turkeys to harvest and um, got, got a handful of hunters going down and it's uh, just going to be a continuation of a great spring. I uh, encourage all you guys out there to um, take a kid uh, hunting or fishing and get them into the outdoors. Uh, I've had the pleasure uh, over the last month of taking my nephews, I started taking them when they were very young boys uh, out hunting, and now they both uh, really enjoy it, and it's a uh, uh, pleasure for me to see the, the joy in their eyes um, being out in the woods, so I encourage you to take a kid hunting or fishing. I just want to thank you guys for the support here on the podcast, and um, until next week, guys, God bless. Thanks for listening to the J. Scott Outdoors Western Big Game Hunting and Fishing Podcast brought to you by GoHunt.com Insider. Research faster, hunt more. Go to GoHunt.com forward slash insider and join today.